so content warning, Vampire has a lot of problems in it. I'm going to try to discuss most of them gently, but I can't promise anything, especially because there's going to be forced suicide. There is assault. There is a lot of planning. There's a lot of like weird stuff. There's going to be mental asylums. There's going to be discussions of a lot of stuff around mental asylums and not treating it well. So just be prepared for all of that. I'm going to very much skim this part, but there's also uh, infanticide attempts. So just be aware of all that. Yeah, all of this handled with the delicacy you would expect from a vampire show in the 90s. Yeah. Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone-cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, Kindred the Embraced is the LaCroix of Vampire the Masquerade. And we're not referring to Sebastian LaCroix, Vampire Prince of Los Angeles when we say that. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. No, we mean the yuck water that... I love the, luck, the yuck water. Yeah. Yuck, yuck. <laughs> Well, that's great because you like the show too. I do like the show too. So that's, uh, I'm the only one who's watched it. So I feel like us dunking on you for liking LaCroix's vengeance for you dunking on me putting cilantro in my soup last night. Oh, cilantro is so gross. Tastes like soap. <laughs> I like the soap. <laughs> Either I don't have the gene that makes cilantro taste like soap or I just like the taste of soap. I can't tell which it is. Cilantro is fine, I guess. Probably like it. Listen, folks, we're going to politely ask you to not recall that they recently announced a Vampire the Masquerade television show. We planned this ahead of time because I was like, what would be a hilarious thing to talk about for Christmas? Since this is our December episode, by the way, folks. And I was like, I'm going to do Kindred the Embraced, you know, the show about vampires and spookiness because it's spooky season all year. And then they suddenly announced they're doing a new show for Vampire the Masquerade. God damn our accidental relevance again. We do not like this gift of prophecy. Please take it back. Apollo, hey, my dude, take it back, please. Take it back. <laughs> we don't want it. Don't want it. We hate having the power to speak things into existence. <laughs> because, no, we're talking about the Vampire the Masquerade television show, the actual one that you don't know about, probably. Yeah, you probably don't know about <laughs> it. It's okay. <laughs> it's possible only Mackenzie knows about it. And whoever made this exquisitely detailed DVD box set she owns. Also that. Oh god, this box set him. I guess we should each refer to our knowledge of Vampire and Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem and all that. Uh, so I'll take the lead here. Back when I was a wee child, by which I mean I was like an early teenager. It's Mackenzie's story. Buckle up. I love these. <laughs> One of my best friends, uh, Jordan, was like, my brother told me about this thing called Vampire the Masquerade, and it sounds so fun. We should play it. So we all made our characters. I was at a cow show that weekend. They did the first game, so I didn't get involved in the first game. And then I came back, and Jordy said, I also just learned that there's a new release of it called Vampire the Requiem, so never mind, we're playing that instead. <laughs> and so I immediately scrapped my character. <laughs> And we played Vampire the Requiem. Jordy was, I'm, I'm sorry, Jordy, if you're listening to this, I don't know why you would be. You were a terrible DM because you were very <laughs> railroady, but that's okay. <laughs> we were 15 at the time that happens. Every 15-year-old DM is railroady. 
extremely <laughs> true. From there, I played mostly Requiem. I played less Masquerade than Requiem, but I did play some Masquerade, both mostly moving online. It, it was the first game I played after I finished my Pern phase. <laughs> So you were looking for a brand new hyperfixation. Always. Yeah, I was looking for a brand new hyperfixation, as I do. And then one day while Dad and I were at the Suncoast video in our local city, I found Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, begged him to buy that for me, even though I think it was rated mature and I was like 16. And he was like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, that's the video game one, right? Yeah, that's the video game one. I have played that one approximately a million times. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Mackenzie Weaver. (laughs) Including, there's like this fan patch out because Troika, the company that made it, went out of business basically as soon as they made it. They fell over into the swamp very quickly. (laughs) Very quick. And there's a fan made patch out there that actually adds a ton of content and fixes a lot of stuff. I have that like perma downloaded on my computer. So then Kindred the Embraced. I had heard about it. I illegally downloaded it and put it on my shitty drive, which no longer exists. I miss you, shitty drive. <laughs> oh, no. The same shitty drive? Yeah, the same shitty drive. Oh, no. I had downloaded it and put it all on there via LimeWire, I think. <laughs> R.I.P. and peace, both Mackenzie's shitty drive and LimeWire. <laughs> <laughs> But recently, and by recently, I mean like four years ago, I'm old, I found online a DVD copy of Kindred the Embraced that looked so extra I had to get it. And so I own it on, it's called the Kindred the Embraced Deluxe Edition. You open it and it looks like a book that has one of those ribbons hanging out of it. Oh my god. You open it to reveal all the casts on a luscious portrait Oh, God. Be set on velvet. <laughs> the DVD case itself is buried within what looks to be fake parchment with a fake wax seal on it. You open that up and you find a letter from the director written in vampire font. Oh, my God. That talks about the Book of Nod, which is a thing from the game series itself. You get a copy of the Book of Nod and then finally you get to the DVD case within. This sounds incredible. <laughs> it's amazing. I love this goddamn thing yeah please please take so many photos for me if we ever put jim jammer out on cd can we do this bullshit (laughs) (laughs) like if we put jim jammer out on vinyl (laughs) the entire crew of the cast are on a luscious couch (laughs) as far as like vampire the masquerade goes or vampire the whatever i have very little experience i know of it by association i no friends who have played these games. I just White Wolf games in general. I've only done maybe once majorly. And that was a World of Darkness game, I think, was the setting that Mac was using. It was Chronicles of Darkness and we became Changeling the Lost. Yeah, because we were teens and then you sort of like transitioned us into a game after we sort of had our like supernatural encounter thing. Yeah. That's most of my exposure to World of Darkness or Vampire or really anything that uses sort of White Wolf's like dot system. So I'm vaguely familiar with it. I'm aware that there are different clans and they have different powers, but I will never be arsed enough to actually know what any of them are. It's okay. Kindred the Embraced forgets that too. (laughs) As for me, I have the sort of passing familiarity with Vampire the Masquerade that one would expect from working in an office next to the Vampire Prince of Calgary for two years. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, I LARPed too. (laughs) Of course you LARPed. Of course you LARPed. Yeah. I knew that about you even before you said it. (laughs) Wondrous. 
I have an understanding of the setting. I flipped through the rule book. I have talked to people about Vampire the Masquerade with a certain degree of familiarity without ever having actually played it. And said Vampire Prince of Calgary was once telling me how he ran World of Darkness games. And he said, I have three dice pools. I want you to win. I want you to lose. And let's see what happens. (laughs) I've taken that to heart in certain games I run. (laughs) The LARP I was in took place at the IU Memorial Hall. Oh, my God. We did it every Saturday night from 6 to 10. I eventually dropped out of this after a few months just because... The real life drama was like, no, I'm not, I'm not into this. But I started as a ghoul, which is a person who is like a servant to a vampire and addicted to their blood. But at one point, the sheriff of Bloomington was like, this player slash this character is too smart for this stupid vampire who brought her in. So I'm going to embrace her and make her my child, Uh, which was pretty cool. I became a deputy to the sheriff. The actual player was engaged to the the Prince of Bloomington, and the Prince of Bloomington was child of the Prince of Indianapolis at the time. And so I de facto just kind of became friends with all of those people, which means I got away with a ton of shit. It was awesome. (laughs) Just by nature of being like, yeah, these are my pals. Ah, nepotism. Nepotism, yeah. Online, I started with Vampire the Requiem. Uh, This is actually how I met several of my friends through various vampire games. Oh, no, wait. You were mostly in werewolf games for a long time. That was the difference. And I ran a lot of werewolf games on accident. The first werewolf game I ran, there was a guy running the game before me. And he kind of gave his character like a... Because at the time, you could play a character, but also be an ST at the same time. And he gave his character a bunch of super powerful fetishes, which are like artifacts, made himself the winner of all the plots that he ran. And so, of course, people aren't having a good idea. He was fired and they were like, we need a new ST. And someone said, what about Mac? She loves werewolf. And then I ended up being the DM (laughs) after that. Then I ran another werewolf game. Then I ran another werewolf game. And I played a lot of stuff, meanwhile, with my friend Dan running, who now runs my D&D games. I've played a lot of Changeling. I've played a lot of Mage. I've played a few games of Promethean. I've played a few games of Demon. I've played a few games of basically everything. I've mostly played a Hunter. Mostly played Werewolf, Changeling, Mage, and Vampire. I I play a lot of World of Darkness. Chronicles (laughs) of Darkness. In case you can't tell. I haven't played it in a while, though. Mackenzie lives inside the World of Darkness. (laughs) I live in the World of Darkness. (laughs) Surprisingly, not... That goth. (laughs) I need more belts in my life. Don't we all? (laughs) So Kindred the Embraced. Kindred the Embraced. This show is how old again? I believe it was released in 1994. That's weirdly the one thing I... 1990... No way. Oh my god, 1996? 1996, between the two. And ran for eight episodes. (laughs) Eight whole episodes. It was released the year before Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh! Okay. It was released the same year as Melrose Place. (laughs) Okay. That contextualizes it. Surprisingly to all involved, it actually outperformed both season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Melrose Place. It did? Yes. It was the head moneymaker for Fox at the time. It was being considered for a second season, but they decided against it because the main guy who played Julian Luna, Prince of San Francisco, died in a motorcycle accident. What? Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) And so the execs were like, well, can't continue without him. So they shut it down. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. I thought this would have been canceled because it was a miserable failure, not because the lead (laughs) died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, seriously. And they didn't want to do the show without him. Yeah, no, that was the reason why they canceled it. 
Well, that's completely... Wow! Yeah. But also, I don't think the show did very well just on its own, too. No, probably not. Yeah, I mean, looking at the show, you're like, this looks like something that sucks. <laughs> it does suck. Let's talk about episode one, and then I can kind of do a, uh, a vague description quick of other things throughout the rest of the okay. series. So that way I don't describe everything in extreme detail. Yeah, because I've seen episode one, so I can help out here. Yes. So episode one is uh, technically called Kindred the Embrace. Hold on, I'm getting my DVD set out because it tells us more information about things. <laughs> you say that, but I've got this thing here on Wikipedia that says the first episode is called The Original Saga. Yep. Which is incredible for a name for a pilot. That actually says that as well on the disc one description. Oh my god. And its original air date was April 2nd of 1996. Uh, and we open on the Golden Gate Bridge, and then we have some vampires fighting on a rooftop in the sunlight. Ah. Uh, now vampires, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there's a thing about vampires in sunlight. Is it that they sparkle in it? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I think sun bad. A sun very bad in Vampire the Masquerade. Sun bad, maybe? Basically, you could instantly explode into aggravated damage and die in sunlight. Vampire the Requiem, this is also true, though there are a few ways to minorly circumvent it, by which I mean like the Ordo Dracul have some abilities where they can kind of turn the aggravated damage into bashing damage, but they're still taking it every round and it still sucks. So they're getting punched by the sun? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, they're getting punched by the sun, which gives them a few extra seconds to find safety. Now, the thing to know about Kindred the Embraced is they did not get much money for this first season, so they could not really film in darkness very well. So what they decided to do was film in daylight, but pretend it was dark <laughs> until they didn't want it to be dark anymore. This happened like three or four times over the course of this, by the way, two hour episode. <laughs> Every single time, it's like they just forgot to put the blue gel over the camera. <laughs> I have a question that I don't think has been answered yet. Yes. Is this a licensed White Wolf Vampire the Masquerade thing? Yes, it is. How much creative control did White Wolf have over this? I am not sure. And, and pretty much nothing I read has that information. In the 90s, the original creator would have had almost zero creative control. Yeah. Hmm. Just by the standards of the contracts back then. By note, the uh, person who produced and directed this is Spelling, who's also behind Charmed and a few other things. So that can explain a lot about this show. Mm-hmm. 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 Sometimes they're just filmed in daylight and they pretend that it's not dawn yet, even though it's clearly like 3 p.m. It's clearly like 3 p.m. all the time in San Francisco. They vaguely try to explain this away later by having Julian Luna, the prince of San Francisco, be like, yeah, if we've drank blood recently, then we can stay out in the sun for like 10 minutes. It's fine. But here's the problem with this specific instance of them fighting on a rooftop in the middle of day <laughs> is that they pretend it's night. Yes. And they have consequences for being almost dawn. Yeah. They stake Stevie Ray, a gangrel sheriff, bodyguard of Julian Luna, the Prince of New York, to the rooftop right as two cops show up. One is our other main character, Frank, who is grizzled detective, I guess. I think he's supposed to be handsome. Yeah, he's supposed to be handsome. He is not. It's also 1996. Yeah, so keep that in mind. And as they show up and pull their guns, these two Bruja, who is a clan, lift up their hands. One of them is Eddie Fiore, the head of the Bruja clan, and they back up and they just jump from the rooftop 
and Frank and Sonny, who are the two cops, dash over to look down and see that they're just missing and seem to be fine because they're missing. And they turn around towards Stevie Ray, who whispers in one last dying breath, Tell my prince I told them nothing. I gave them nothing. And now I am free. And then he burst into flame. Because the sun. Because it's dawn now. The sun came up. Also, Sonny, one of the cops is a vampire. He is not bursting into flame. Wait, yeah, that's right. They reveal that at the end of the episode. Yep. Also in the middle of this, as Stevie Ray is staked, Eddie Fiore goes, This is what the Bruja clan will do to all you gangrel. Which is hilarious, too, for me, personally. That's a very awkward line. (laughs) It is. So we're about to spend the next two hours, you realize, as you're watching this, (laughs) trying to care about a dead man named Stevie. (laughs) Stevie, though. Stevie, though. Stevie Ray. We transition to the medical examiner, the forensic pathologist, who's arguing with Frank and Sonny, and is like, what did they use to light him on fire? Was it a gas can? Lighter fluid? They're like, there was nothing there. We don't know why he got lit on fire. And the medical examiner in the show of Kindergarten Recess uh, goes, (laughs) unless you tell me what really happened, I won't tell you the autopsy results, which is is not how that works. I don't think you can do that. (laughs) You can't. I don't think you're allowed. (laughs) We then finally, for the first time, transition to Julian Luna, our other lead, the Prince of San Francisco. This is the one who died in a motorcycle accident? Actor who died in a motorcycle accident. Okay. I just want to be clear for... Not only this part, for what characters have said so far, but this is going to follow for the rest of the episode. This is a television program that is neither for the enfranchised viewer or the disenfranchised viewer. No. Everything that it will say about vampire shit, like all of this stuff they picked up from the source books, they will not explain any of it to me, the person who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. No, they regularly refer to the five clans, which they're... There are more than five clans. They don't even explain what they mean by the masquerade. They don't explain what they mean by the masquerade. They don't explain what they mean by clan. They don't explain what Ventru, Toreador, Nosferatu, Gangrel, or Bruja are. Uh, They don't tell you what kindred means, other than you can kind of guess that it's vampire, but that's a guess. They refer to a bunch of things that they never bother explaining, and they just kind of hope that you know. So you'd have to be an enfranchised viewer to know this. However. However, they then completely destroy all things that are associated with this vampire thing. They don't get any of it right. (laughs) no they get none of it right john walked in and he had played vampire and like looked at the screen as Mackenzie explained a couple things and he just frowns (laughs) because like i guess they mix up powers between the different clans and just like quite a lot they don't really seem to care that much aside from just having like vocabulary that they can confuse and intrigue the audience with let's talk about this a little bit Okay. The five clans that they choose, and I don't begrudge them not choosing all of them because otherwise you'd have to hammer in like 20 different clans. It's fine. Just lower it to five. It's fine. Uh, I think there are cooler five you could have chosen, but you know, whatever. It's fine. (laughs) It's definitely fine. The five clans they choose, let's just focus on one of these. The Ventru, which is what Prince Julian is. The Ventru are like called the Clan of Kings in Vampire the Masquerade. They are... Noted for being powerful, influential. They're kind of like the snooty aristocrats. They're snooty aristocrats. Uh, Aristocats? Um, Like the aristocats? Yeah, like the aristocats. So the archetype for the Ventru is basically Count Dracula as the Count. 
Okay. Or like a CEO businessman. Yeah. They do not drink wine. No, actually, that's their thing. They're Bane <laughs> in Vampire the Masquerade. Every clan has like a flaw. And their flaw okay. in Vampire the Masquerade is they have to drink from a certain kind of blood or else the blood doesn't actually work for them. Okay. So you might have people who can only drink from painters, or you might have someone who can only drink from virgins, whatever that social construct is. So it's a lot of power and influence, but with a pretty severe, like, downside. Like, I played a Ventru once who could only drink from doctors. <laughs> So you have to be able to do your influence and uh, find these people to get them. In later games, so Vampire the Requiem 2.0, their flaw became they lost their humanity faster. So it was harder for them to maintain like social contacts because they would drop faster in their humanity track. And thus they would be more prone to becoming bestial faster just because they only saw humans as pawns. Okay. Take that, and then you look at their disciplines, which are their powers. They always got, in Vampire the Masquerade, they got Dominate, which was their clan ability, where they could look somebody in the eye and order them to do something, or they could overwrite their memories. They got Fortitude, which gave them the ability to be stronger. And I think in VTM, that also gives you the ability to, like, resist damage better. And then they also got Presence in VTM, which basically is like, look at me, I am so pretty, and things like that. In... Kindred the Embraced. Everybody can do the Dominate power. Hmm. Everybody can do Fortitude. And everybody can do Presence. <laughs> so what's the difference between the clans? Do they ever get into that of the rest of the show? That's a great question, because sure doesn't look like one. <laughs> <laughs> sure doesn't seem like one. They try to act like there's a difference. Okay. Like at one point, Lily, who is the head of the Toreador clan, she is told that a, another Toreador that she sired, oh, he's he's going to do some bad. She goes, well, I'm a Toreador. What can I do? Hee <laughs> hee. But never bothers to explain what she means by that. Hmm. While I kind of grok it as, oh, well, I had to embrace an artist. I'm a Toreador because their flaw is they become enamored with art. Uh, and they kind of zone out, which can weaken them. Like if a hunter attacked them in the middle of an art museum, they'd be screwed. <laughs> they become obsessed with it and they want to own it. So like, that's another way to like lure them in. It's like a weakness. The Toreadors are basically the Anne Rice vampires with like extreme <laughs> sensates. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Toreadors become sort of Deva in Vampire the Requiem and their 2.0 weakness is actually really great. Wherein if they drink from the blood of the same mortal twice, they become obsessed with that mortal. So, you know, that kind of leads to a bad feedback loop because you can't exactly keep drinking from a different person each day if you're in the same city all the time and the same person comes to the same place all the time and you're a creature of habit. Okay, so what you're telling me is that everything you've just told me, throw it out the window. Throw it out the window. None of it is relevant to this TV show. Oh, no. None of it is relevant to the potential because at one point they kind of passed the Vampire the Masquerade book. Uh, they stared at it for a moment and they go, yeah, let's make a show. Didn't you tell me that like part of the Vampire the Masquerade source book is in your little special edition DVD? Yeah, the Book of Nod. Yeah. Uh, so someone looked at it. They at least copy pasted the Book of Nod. The designer for the DVD box <laughs> looked at yeah. it. The designer for the DVD box looked at it. Can't guarantee anybody else did. So anyway, back to episode one. <laughs> right. So we meet Julian, who is the Prince of San Francisco, and that means... And who is a Ventru. He's basically in charge of the vampires in San Francisco. He's in charge of the vampires of San Francisco and is supposed to keep the peace. Except when he's not. Except when he's not. <laughs> 
And we're introduced to Julian because first we see a wolf engraved on a mirror and then his face oh, God, overlays right. with the wolf and we transition to looking at Julian. Yeah, we're doing this incredibly, like, quote unquote, <laughs> clever thing where, like, he's looking through. Is he looking through a window or is he looking into a mirror? Looking into a mirror because you can see his face reflected. Yeah, because it's like, oh, my God, you see, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. Because he is a predator. Although wolves are usually more associated with the gangrel than the ventrue. And yet. But don't worry, Julian can turn into a wolf. Doesn't matter. And so Julian is incensed. He is ranting and raving about he was not only my bodyguard, he was my friend. And they staked him out like dead meat. Archon, whatever his last name is, he's like the former prince who just casually bequeathed princedom to Julian because he could. No prince would ever do that. He just hangs out? He just hangs out in Julian's house, but he reaches forward and gropes Julian's titty and is like, allow your heart to stop, Julian. Just casually just going in for the grope? I'm, I'm more confused by that line. What does that line mean? Allow your heart to stop. Julian, you see, tries very hard to be a good man. He cares a lot about mortals. <laughs> he cares a lot about people. You may think that, like, the actor is just the exact same, just, like, wooden this whole two hours. He gets extremely emotional later. He cries tears of blood. Oh, my God. Ah, right. He does, in fact, cry tears of blood. I, how can I forget that image? He spent that vitae. Lord. <laughs> he and the Archon go back and forth talking about how the cops found Stevie Ray's body first, and this is a problem because they'll figure out that he's a vampire and that risks the masquerade. Again, they don't explain what the masquerade is. So the masquerade is like, don't tell people we're vampires. Yeah, don't tell people we're vampires lest we die. LARP is a real person. LARP is a real person. The great reverse LARP. Yeah, exactly. They don't bother explaining what that is in the show. Don't worry about it. So vampire LARPers are humans pretending to be vampires pretending to be humans. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. That's us. So then we flash to Frank the cop who is on a date with, I can't remember her name. I think it's like Anastasia. I don't really give a shit. Alexandra. Alexandra, thank you. Why is this building, a, like, I feel like this is building up to a romance between Frank and the vampire prince, but I know it's not going to. If only. So the thing about Alexandra is she's a Toreador. Toreador are represented by Red Roses, and the cinematographer wants you to know that. <laughs> because they're at a restaurant. Every single shot that they do of this conversation between these two characters, there is a rose on the table in between them, and they make sure to have it in the frame every single shot. Center frame. Every single shot. It's like, do you get it? Do you get it yet? You get it? It's Rose. It's symbolic symbolic to rose there's a lot of schmoopy shit where they hold each other's hands and frank gets so close to realizing she's a vampire your hands are like eyes i can't feel your pulse alexandra is this incredible character and in that first off it's 1996 and they have the exact same haircut <laughs> yep they do the tousled bangs and like the kind of bob with the bits of the bottom they have the exact same haircut i'm looking at this character on the wiki and it is very <laughs> important for you to know the first picture is a close-up of her and the second second picture is a flaming corpse falling off of a high object. <laughs> yes. So I feel like that's maybe some foreshadowing. Yeah. She constantly wears diaphanous robes. She wears diaphanous white gowns. She only wears white, which is terrible because they also wanted her to be really, really pale. So like this color does nothing for her complexion. It looks terrible. And she's just like, she whispers all the time because she's just so quiet and mysterious. Stop. Speak in a normal tone for five seconds. I am begging you. No. 
uh, after Frank calls her out on uh, not feeling human, she's like, BRB, gotta go tidy up in the ladies' room. That's a thing humans do, right? <laughs> Wherein there's a girl doing coke. And the girl doing coke is like, want some? And Alexander's like, no, thank you, dear. Those are beautiful earrings. She like reaches in and like strokes the side of the earring, like falling down to her cheek. Yeah, the lady's like, would you like to see them up closer? She obviously feeds on this girl and wanders back out looking uh, hale and hearty. Oh my God. No, there's just this incredible line where she's like, earrings like that. You have to like, oh, yeah. what is it like? I wrote this down. You know, earrings this showy. A girl has to be sure she wants that much attention. But don't worry. They won't show anything gay. <laughs> they won't show anything super gay. So, like, it just cuts back and she just sort of, like, walks out of the bathroom, like, just wiping her face. It's fine. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Could it be more obvious if she were dabbing at her lips with a napkin? (laughs) Oh, no, it's even better. You remember how she wears a whole bunch of white? Mm -hmm. It does this extreme zoom with, like, this dramatic, like, musical sting as it shows and zoom, 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 zoom. One red dot. On her gown. <laughs> Don't worry, the detective notices nothing. They end up going back to Alexandra's place to fuck. After they finish fucking, she's like, oh no, wait, no, while she's sitting down for dinner again and they serve her rare steak. Oh my God. She suddenly goes, you know what, Frank? I feel like a woman again. A real human woman, which is a normal thing to say. A normal thing to say to someone. That's a thing that people say. (laughs) Oh, God. One of the pictures of her is like them in bed together. And it's incredible because she's staring at the ceiling and he's like cuddled up to her chest and just staring off into the middle distance. Oh, yeah. That's when he realizes. This is the most depressing depiction of heterosexuality (laughs) I've ever seen in my life. Like, that's the part where he realizes that she doesn't have a pulse. Yep. (laughs) So they go home and fuck. Yeah, no, God. Sorry, just just God. They make a point of being like, ooh, I love a woman who likes her steak. Rare. Rare. Very yeah. rare. And it's like, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it yet? Because like blood, vampire, Look at the rose. Look at the rose. Do you get it? you get it? And after they finish fucking, Frank gets a pager, which is clearly just a piece of paper put over his pager that says, Luna just walked out. Which I'm not sure is how pagers work. Yeah, no, they didn't even bother to, like, set up an automatic message to this pager that would actually, like, show the right thing on the display. They just taped something over the display. Yeah. That's incredible. It's really great. We then flash to the Haven Club, which is a club Julian Luna owns and is the Elysium. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Okay, so when you say, like, the Elysium, is that a vampire thing? Yeah, Elysium is a vampire thing. Like, a place vampires can gather, which is supposed to be peaceful. Uh, Vampires can't use their powers there. Vampires can't hurt each other there. Okay. So once you're inside the walls of Elysium, you can generally trust that no one's going to hurt you there, though they might hurt you right outside it. Yeah. Gotcha. At least if they do, vampire society will punish them for it in some way. Yeah, it's basically an almost sacred ground type situation. Basically, there's just a truce. Okay, neutral territory. I got it. Yeah. We watched Julian Luna walk in with his vampire bay, Lily. And there's a bunch of people on motorcycles there. And Julian pauses to talk to them and goes, If you gangrels are cruising for Bruja, you're in the wrong place. Again, they will not explain that line to me who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Cash, who is... A young gangrel with spiky blonde frosted tips and riding a motorcycle says, Stevie Ray sired for all of us. We were down for Stevie. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. In the widest way possible. 
Oh my god. Yeah, no, they're straight up like, we were down for Stevie. You know what I am saying. Mackenzie, it might be worth explaining what gangrels and Bruja are in the actual game, because this is not, this is not, <laughs> this is not how they act with each other. So Bruja are actually really interesting. They're kind of like the most popular clan just among the player base, because they used to be philosopher kings, but over time became like rebels, basically. Rebels with a cause is kind of like their concept line. They worked really hard to follow their passions to make sure to always be fighting for something. Because if you're being forced to live an eternity, you might as well fight for something. Okay. In VTR2, they actually don't exist as their own clan. So there are these things called bloodlines, which are like within a clan, you can have kind of kind of like a focus. They're actually a focus of the gankrol. Okay. Which kind of makes this whole thing a little bit more interesting. But in VTM, their flaw is they're extremely violent. So if somebody makes them especially mad, they have a hair trigger temper and can go off. Mm-hmm. Gankrol are the animalistic vampires. Those are the ones that usually do like shape change and stuff. Is that what you were telling me? They normally do shape change. They can talk to animals. Hippies. Kind of. And their big flaw in Vampire the Masquerade is basically if they frenzy, which all vampires will do at some point, if they frenzy, they gain animal features for a few days. So if they frenzy or lose control of themselves, they could have like a wolf tail for the next few days. They could gain a uh, puppy snoot for a few days. Things like that. Really useful right before Anthrocon. Exactly. Absolutely. Gotcha. Just commit a bloody mass murder right before Anthrocon and you're ready to go. (laughs) Exactly. In the actual role-playing game, most of the clans, I wouldn't say, are extremely insular in most ways. Like, there are a few that are. Like, the Hecata, which were the former Giovanni, or the Salubri, or or, or a few of them are, like, insular and, and tight. But none of the clans in this show are. But the show would make you think that by being embraced this clan, you hate all other clans. Hmm. Especially the Bruja and Gangrel, who hate each other a lot for some reason. Whereas my understanding, aren't they both like Anarch clans in, in modern VTM? Yeah, they tend to be Anarch clans. They can be part of the Camarilla. Camarilla, I've, I've never learned how to pronounce it. Everybody always pronounced it differently. They're the primary Anarch clans together. So they are generally against the establishment and they generally work together. Okay, so Anarch is just like how it sounds then. Yeah, exactly. The Camarilla and the Anarch, I pronounce it Camarilla because I think it's supposed to be an Italian word, not a Spanish one. The Camarilla are just are basically your classic vampire court, mm-hmm. and then the Anarchs are the ones who are like, fuck princes, fuck this bullshit. Okay, gotcha. So them having this animosity with each other, it's a little weird. Apparently, Bruja instantly hate Gangrel in this show. So there is a vampire drive-by at this point where the Bruja <laughs> in a uh, limo- Hold on, hold on. I really want to savor that sentence. There's a vampire drive-by- at this point, there is a vampire drive-by. Vampire drive-by. Where the Bruja in a limo drive-by, put a machine gun outside the window, a very fake machine gun, I should note, and shoot <laughs> phosphorus rounds. Oh my god. Or grenades at the vampires. So like light bullets? Yeah, exactly. Light bullets. Burning bullets. <laughs> and at this point, Julian is also looking at Cash and is like, Cash, I want a new sheriff. I want a new bodyguard. I want a gangrel. Someone who I can trust who won't be bought like Stevie, like you. And Cash is considering it. The grenade launcher happens. They then light the gun they shot everything with on fire and throw it out the window into the street. Guns. (laughs) Known for being extremely flammable. (laughs) At this point, Frank the cop suddenly shows up after his fuck fest with Alexandra. And he walks up to Julian. He's like, oh. I see your mob is having some problems. And Julian's like, I don't have a mob, but thank you. 
Frank is under the impression that Julian is like a mob boss is what he thinks this whole vampire thing is and that Alexandra is like, I don't know, a kept woman of his or something. Yeah. And he's like, you can't do this to her. This is where I turned to Annie and said, are you ready for the ugliest man you've ever seen in your life? (laughs) And I was like, okay, what is he? Julian goes to talk to the Nosferatu primogen, Daedalus. And Daedalus is at Nosferatu. Their flaw is that they're horrendously ugly so that they cannot pass for human and people are innately scared of them. Uh, Daedalus is- I'm looking at this guy on the wiki. That's not- he's- He's bald. What? Yeah. He's bald. Yeah, yeah. No, like, you asked me this question, and then they, like, scroll to reveal this dude, and he's just, like, a guy. He's like Mr. Clean without eyebrows. He's just a guy. They do Dutch angles every time he's on screen. It's like, he's just a guy. How do you think this guy felt when they were like, hey, we're going to have you play the ugliest vampire in the show. Oh, okay, you're going to put some gnarly makeup on me? No, we're just going to put a bald cap on you? And then that's just going to be your face. Like, how do you feel as a person when you're told that? So at one point when I was running a Smallville game for my friends and I was running it as I did with you guys where like I was like an executive producer. I was like, okay, now we need to cast all your characters. And one of them wanted to play a rat man who was like really disgusting. And I was like, well, as you know, we will make you a truly disgusting man. That is, we are hiring a very attractive model and we are giving you one scar. (laughs) And he was delighted by this. I found this guy and I was like, and you have one scar on your cheek. And he was like, oh, perfect. I'm hideous. And they decided to emphasize that throughout the game where he would always lurk in the shadows and then stepped out revealing his disgusting face. And they were like, what, are you making sure that Scar faces the camera? And he's like, absolutely. (laughs) He regularly had scenes where he would break down in tears about how ugly he was. I hope at some point he just said, I am too hideous to be loved. Yes, he did say that at one point. I love it when they're too hideous to be loved. (laughs) So this hideous man who's just a guy who's bald. Annie at this point was like, oh, a Dutch angle. That's how you know things are askew. (laughs) And I died laughing for like five minutes. (laughs) Julian's like, we can't let the medical examiner know. And Daedalus is like, yes, I will take care of this. So Daedalus is kind of like a hitman for vampires. There's a role in vampire society where basically the sheriff enforces the rules. Then the guy who Daedalus is, is punishes those the rules that are broken. Okay. So there's a judge and he is the executioner. Yeah, basically. Okay. We see the medical examiner working and we pan to the body fridges. Oh my God. One- Door slides open and Daedalus slides out and just stands straight up and walks towards. He could have gotten into that morgue at any point (laughs) in any method. And he wanted to be theatric, not so the coroner would even notice and be scared, just for himself. Just for himself. How did he open the little fridge? Don't. (laughs) Don't know. How did he open the whole thing and like push his little tray out? We don't know. We don't know. He kills the coroner by using dominate. He dominates the coroner into <laughs> killing himself or? Into killing himself, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because like the coroner's like just doing a thing and Daedalus walks up behind him and he's like, now cut your wrist. Yeah. By the way, trigger warning, content warnings here. <laughs> After the fact. After the fact. After there's the suicide. Fact, content warning. We're going to have a talk about asylums at some point, and there's violence. Just be ready for content warnings. It's a bad vampire show from the 90s. Yeah. Anything that you would expect from that, be prepared for, I guess. So, yeah. So he's like, cut your wrists. 
and kill yourself. The guy does. No, Sferatu do not have Dominate, by the way, but Daedalus does. <laughs> he then leaves exactly the same way he came in, by which I mean they reverse the shot. <laughs> Yeah, so he lies back down. He just slides back into his little drawer. He slides back into his little filing cabinet drawer. (laughs) Like, it's just the same shot, but reversed. They still didn't explain, like, how he's closing the door, opening it, or whatever. So he doesn't even really leave. He just sort of goes into, like, a little storage locker, and I guess he just gets back out and goes elsewhere later. Like, from context, I know he's getting out of the body fridge, but I'm just imagining, like, the lowermost drawer of the filing <laughs> cabinet slides out, and then he just like you just see him like slowly rising <laughs> from it. Not like gr- not like standing from a kneeling position, but like there's like a just there's just a board under his feet and it's lifting him up. Basically, <laughs> that's that's what I'm picturing in my head right now. And it's very good. Frank, of course, returns right at this point to walk in and be like, "Hey, can I ask you another question?" But of course, the examiner's gone. He notices some vague movement beneath one of the body tarps, and he lifts it up to find the dead examiner. <laughs> it's okay, slit, slit your wrists and lie down on this slab for me, will you? I need to make sure whoever finds you is like, "Whoa!" He's like, "Okay, okay, this is gonna be great." Listen, I need you to do some things for me while you're bleeding out. <laughs> Smash cut to Julian is with Lily, the Toreador primogen, in a bedroom. She's in a sexy, slinky nightgown. She bites Julian's arm and drinks from him, which notably, again, in the game, if you drink a vampire's blood, it's extremely addictive. It is said to be worse than basically any other drug in the world. And you also begin to fall in love with the vampire. There's this whole three-step process where step one, you start seeing them as great. Step two, you fall in love with them. Step three, you're obsessed. So she's just casually doing this. No vampire would really casually do this because that would mean you're like attached to this person quite a lot. She cuts open her own arm with her fingernail and licks it closed, which is also not a thing you can do. You can only lick closed your bites. They simper around and, and she talks about like, why do you protect Alexandra when she does terrible things all the time? And he's like, oh, love, blah, 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 blah. Like, fuck a cop. <laughs> fuck a cop. That's a terrible thing. We then go to Alexandra and Frank, who have f***ed again. I just want to say as a quick aside here, we've got these two back-to-back sequences of characters being intimate with each other, and there is negative... Chemistry. (laughs) Chemistry. There is not even a hint of chemistry between any of these characters. They just look at each other with these dead eyes, and I don't even think it's a character (laughs) choice because they're vampires. They're just like, so I'm in a sexy chemise. Like, (laughs) yes, you are. You are, baby. They're always talking to each other in these incredibly hushed tones. There is no emotional inflection and no emotion in any of their faces or body language. It is the least sexy thing I have seen in a while. These are vampires. Before they smash cut to Alexandra and Frank, uh, Lily and Julian are talking about how he's going to have to hunt Alexandra. We've then smashed cut to Alexandra and Frank, who fucked. Wait, is this the bedroom scene where somebody interrupts him to tell him there's been a death in the family? Or is that another one? So it's when Lily and uh, Julian are there where the Archon, aka the former prince, steps in and is like, Julian, your grandson has died. Julian's like... Oh, okay. And he gets sad and he moves away from Lily and, and nods. Quote unquote, he gets sad. We're <laughs> like, I see. Oh, no. That's sad. Oh, no. We should stop fucking now. Call the car. He goes to the funeral for his grandson, who is a very old man. <laughs> In like a winery because they do not drink wine. 
his great great granddaughter Sasha shows up to this funeral. And she's a rebel. She's wearing a biker jacket. She's wearing a midriff bearing spaghetti string top. Mm-hmm. She's wearing skin tight jeans. Mm-hmm. And she stalks in and she's drinking liquor and she's like talking about. I always liked Grandpa. He was always nice to me when none of the rest of you fucks was. This funeral's just full of old people who are shocked. Yeah, shocked, actually. Gasp. She is breaking the rules of society. She's a rebel. And then she says something really gross, which is, Grandpa was the only person who ever gave a toss about me. So if Grandpa had asked for a toss, I'd have given it to him. And then she kisses her Grandpa's corpse square on the mouth. Yep. What? Exactly. It's very unclear. I looked this character up on the wiki and I was like, where do I know that actress from? She's known from her notable guest appearance on every TV show ever made. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's just her career. Guest starring on other television programs? Yes. Oh my gosh. She had a run in Angel, which is probably where I saw her first. But yeah, she's just in everything. Spectacular. She's just been in everything. So she and Julian talk. She calls Julian the uncle from the city who never ages. Julian's like, I always liked you, Sasha. And she's like, okay, thanks. And she leaves. She's important later. Don't worry about it right now. That's her for the episode because we have to have more time for Alexandra and Frank and their very sad relationship. (laughs) But first we have Julian going to the graveyard of his wife. Oh God, right. And he stands over the grave and it's 3 p.m. again. And he goes... Can I embrace you one last time? And then just fades into the ground. Dick first. He lies down on the dirt, on his stomach, and then just sort of, again, without this show ever explaining to me that that's a thing vampires do, (laughs) I guess. He just... Only gangrel. Sinks into the dirt. So I guess he's just going to go lie on his wife's corpse. (laughs) Weird, gross, again, dick first. Dick first. You know, I read the 5e rulebook and I don't recall there being a vampire discipline for vibrating through walls like the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually a protean power for Gangrel. It's one of the higher leveled ones. They choose various substances that they can kind of fade into. So like they could choose rock or dirt and it allows them to sleep there so they can avoid the sunlight. Ventru shouldn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so then we flashed Alexandra uh, and Frank. And they're like snuggling. And Frank is like, I can't feel your heartbeat. So, you know, really good job keeping up the masquerade. And Alexandra is like... She folds instantly. By telling you this, I am condemning myself to death. But I am a vampire. Look. And she cuts open her wrist and then heals it. And Frank's like, is this a party trick? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, you don't have to die. And she's like, no, Frank, I love your heart. I love your humanity. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is the dude that she's throwing away her life for. (laughs) No matter what, Frank, we'll always have the roses. And we flash to a rose garden, which they stand in in her diaphanous gowns. Oh, my God. And then she turns into a wolf and runs away. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, he looks in the bathroom mirror and then he turns around and there's a wolf on the bed. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And then the wolf just leaves. Just leaves. So he's like, well, there was just a wolf on my bed. (laughs) he's like real sad about it by which i mean he kind of looks dead-eyed about it god i just i love the fact that he's like huh i don't think i hear your pulse that's weird she doesn't even try to come up with an excuse or anything she's so bad at this (laughs) just go straight to i'm a vampire (laughs) 
Well, I guess I better tell you the whole shtick, huh? We then flash to Julian as he makes the decree. I call a blood hunt on Alexandra and he cries tears of blood. Oh my god. (laughs) Because she broke the masquerade and he's sad. We then see her in her diaphanous gowns running through the city being chased. She stands in a doorway and the people run past and she's like, oh good, I'm safe. Again, in these like white gowns she is carrying her shawl with her by the way she is making sure to keep that beautiful flowing shawl in her hands she's got to take it with her for no reason that i can understand aside from just diaphanous (laughs) and she runs up and she hails a taxi and she climbs in and the camera pulls forward to reveal that the taxi driver is daedalus oh no the taxi driver (laughs) is the most hideous man in the world (laughs) it's just a guy he's just a guy (laughs) they turn around they look at each other and she's like Daedalus make it fast and so he cuts her throat with his nails because he's got like claw nails or something Yep. Okay. We then see the taxi cab at 3pm pulling up next to the Golden Gate Bridge in the middle of the night of course the middle of night also known as (laughs) 3pm in the middle of the night don't worry about it Alexandra collapses out And Daedalus opens his door and he goes, Alexandra, water is your sanctuary. And then he turns and climbs back in and drives off. (laughs) Alexandra pulls herself towards the water very slowly. And she climbs up to stand on top of the edge of the water. Right as Frank pulls up in his car somehow. Frank has been getting throughout the episode. He's been getting a couple of these like phone calls from someone who is using some kind of voice masker. And so he got a hot tip that she would be here, I guess. So he pulls up and he sees her and she turns to face him and holds her arm out. But then the sun comes up, by which I mean it is still 3 p.m. <laughs> and suddenly she lights on fire and she turns and she throws herself down into the water. And it's like it's all in slow motion. <laughs> it's all in slow motion because Frank's last wife threw herself out of a building. And they're like, oh, it'll be just like your wife, Frank. I'm looking at the screen cap of, like, just the flaming body plummeting. <laughs> and I'm like, this could not more clearly be a crash test dummy wrapped in a diaphanous gown and set on fire. It's so crash test dummy. It's so clearly a crash test dummy. It's so clearly not a person. This looks like something the Mythbusters made. <laughs> Today we're going to see what happens if a vampire walks into the sun and jumps off the Golden Gate Bridge. Then we flash to Alexandra's rose garden where all the roses are dead now because she died. Okay. Julian's there. Frank walks in on him and shoots him. (laughs) Frank is like, you did this to her. You did this. And Julian's like, I had to, Frank. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Question. And Frank's like, how dare you? This isn't moral. Question. Question. How does he respond to being shot? He just kind of stands there. <laughs> he just kind of looks at him. He just kind of st- yeah. He doesn't even try to be like, oh, no, you shot me. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't. Every single vampire is really, really bad at pretending to not be a vampire. (laughs) I am just imagining, like, this dark place-esque scene of, like, guy walks in, fires a gun, the squib goes off in the other actor's chest, but he does not react at all. (laughs) He's just like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save your girlfriend from that. The fuck? 
Oh my god, I can see it. I can I... see it so clearly. It's on the rooftop set. Oh god, before we started recording this, I look at a couple of screen caps that shut out. I was like, guys, is this an ironic dark place? And that opinion has not changed. If anything, it's become stronger. So It's basically an ironic dark so place. It's so unironic dark place. So Julian replies to these things from Frank with, your morality doesn't apply to us, Frank. I am the law among my kind, the judge, the jury, the executioner. And I died again. You're categorically not the executioner. You're not. <laughs> you have a guy for that. <laughs> He's the most hideous man in the world. <laughs> Julian turns into a wolf and runs off. As you do. <laughs> Why do people keep leaving conversations by turning into wolves? <laughs> I mean, I'd do it if I could. Oh my God. Right. Like... <laughs> If being a vampire, you know, giving up my immortal soul, et cetera, et cetera, if they just told me I could turn into a wolf and leave conversations anytime I wanted, I would, I would, yes, please. Agree to it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be walking around the vampire infested junkyard slapping your neck like, come get y'all juice. <laughs> And Frank notices a locket left on the ground and he picks it up and he opens it up and it shows Alexandra and her diaphanous gowns. It's a gif. Dancing among the roses, smiling at him. It's a it's gif. It's a little gif. It's an animated gif of her just like twirling in the rose bushes with her little shawl and her diaphanous gown. And a close up of she like looks at the camera with like this dazed expression that I think is supposed to be a, <laughs> a winning smile. Then it just fades away into a single painted rose and he clutches it in his hand and covers his face and based on the book vampire the masquerade <laughs> and it flashes through the credits oh fucking god so i guess he's like sworn revenge or something oh yeah he swears revenge against prince julian at that point okay hang on based on the book vampire the masquerade that's what it says that's what it says right like what do you call it it's not not a book, but I feel like that's a misrepresentation about what the relationship <laughs> yep. is here. Imagine if the D&D movies were like, based on the book, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so that is the pilot episode. Oh, okay, where does the rest of this f***ing show go, Mackenzie? I need you to tell me. Yeah, I am completely out of my depth at this point. You told me something about it focusing way more on Julian. I walked in later and like, there was a reporter. So episode two is called The Prince of the City. The end of episode one ends with Sonny, Frank's partner, being the one who's calling him using the voice changer and is revealed to be a vampire bruja. He was out in the sunlight multiple times. I just want to give a quick rundown of these episode titles because I think altogether they're incredible. We have the original saga, Prince of the City, Night Stalker, Romeo, <laughs> <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Oh my God. Live hard, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. That's so long. The rise and fall <laughs> of Eddie Fiore. Bad Moon Rising. Of course. And Cabin in the Woods. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Those are our episodes. I feel like if you're going to have an episode title as long as Live Fast, Die Young, Leave a Good-Looking Corpse, I feel like all your episode titles need to be that long. <laughs> Like, at that point, you you need to be doing the orphan black thing where you're quoting entire passages from, like, the origin of species. Maybe at some <laughs> point you just start just going real hard into, like, the really long song titles. 
episode two, The Prince of the City, starts with Frank, who has gotten a haircut. In solidarity with his girlfriend's corpse. I love when the pilot has been visibly made like a year before the rest of the show because nobody's hair is the same and everyone's aged like a year. Like looking at rings on a tree, you can tell how long they were shopping around this pilot. Frank is basically getting reamed by his police lieutenant, who is an Asian man. And so it's the second person of color we've had this whole show. Who was the first? Hold on. I need you to be clear. When you say he's being reamed. Also that. Basically, the police lieutenant is like, you're off the chain. Oh, my God. Oh. You are a rebel. You are focusing too much on Luna. You need to stop trying to take him down. Okay, so not the definition of reamed that I was thinking of. That no. might have been more in line with, you know, a Vampire the Masquerade TV show. I needed to double check on that one. I needed to know that this show stayed extremely unsexy. It's almost like, if you keep focused on this, I'm going to have to take your badge and gun. That kind uh, of thing. Oh. Well, that's less fun. Uh, don't worry. We will never see this police lieutenant again. Uh, after this episode. Who was the first person of color if the second one is the police lieutenant? Sonny. Oh, Oh, Sonny. Sonny Sonny is a black man. Sonny is like the only black guy. In San Francisco. (laughs) He's the only black guy in San Francisco. Absolutely. And his introductory thing is being like the sassy sidekick to the detective. Yep. Yeah. God damn it. (laughs) So, you know, at least him actively at the end of the episode being like, also, I want to kill this guy. That, that's, you know, I'm rooting for Sonny. Lieutenant's like, I need you to work on Eddie Fiore. Eddie Fiore's the asshole here. Eddie Fiore being the leader of the Bruja clan. So they convince one of Eddie Fiore's guys to uh, wear a wire. He gets caught literally instantly wearing the wire. <laughs> Incredible. Everybody rushes in because I hear him get caught. And they find the guy, Polly is his name, staked on the desk. Frank finds him first and shouts for the others. So the others rush in to find Frank trying to yank the stake out. And they're like, Frank, what did you do? Why did you kill him? Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. And Frank's like, what? I didn't do it. I just found him. And they're like, yeah, but I'm not internal affairs, Frank, and they're going to be investigating you now. No, they're not. They just need to do some just basic forensic analysis. That's Frank's story for this episode. Okay. It's very dumb. It will never be mentioned again after this episode. Don't worry about it. They just resolve it? Don't worry about it. They just resolve Okay, cool. So what's Julian up to? Julian meets a sexy newspaper reporter named Caitlin Byrne. Byrne? Byrne. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Caitlin Byrne. They're out for dinner. Caitlin's like, you're such a quiet enigmatic man and i want to know so much more about you everyone's always talking about how involved and influential you are but no one actually knows your story okay and julian's like i'll take you to dinner wherever you want and you can ask me anything you want but every question you ask i get to ask one in turn and you must answer Hmm. she's like yeah babe that sounds great Hmm. and they have a date and she decides she wants to have dinner at her house Julian meets her there in the sunlight and goes in and they talk. Like, famously, vampires have, like, one thing that everyone agrees on, which is don't be in sunlight. Even the Twilight vampires agree on that. Yeah. (laughs) 
3 p.m., baby. In San Francisco. Dracula could walk in the sunlight. Frank and Julian meet at a diner. Like you do. Like you do. Like you do. As sworn enemies. As sworn enemies. You go to a fun little lunch. (laughs) Cute little lunch date. Just check in on how your revenge is going. Just wanted to check out on you, my nemesis (laughs) that I've sworn to kill. How's your day going? I just want to make sure that you're doing okay, that you're, you know, keeping fit (laughs) so that you can, you know, take your revenge on me at some point. Frank and Julian chat. Frank's like, uh, how come you're out? It's nearly dawn. And Julian's like, I fed recently. And so we're allowed to be out in the sunlight if we've nearly fed. It is like 3 p.m. right now. Frank is like, you just use humans. You just make them do your bidding. And Julian's like, no, we have never used humans before. Are you sure? We have vampires in every walk of life and they just take care of everything. Not how vampires work. (laughs) I like how I can hear you leaning close to the mic for that one. (laughs) (laughs) frank is like well i'm a cop and it's my job to make things right and you just keep doing wrong things and jillian's like i just do what i have to frank i like that this isn't even like a sexually charged nemesis luncheon no it's just kind of a casual nemesis luncheon Frank gets Amazon a a phosphorus gun. What? Like it gets delivered to him? Like he ordered it and there was a two hour delivery window? What do you mean he got Amazon to gun? He didn't get it delivered. He just shows up at home and there's like a package waiting for him on the porch. And he's like, oh, what's this? And he opens it up to reveal a fake machine gun that's actually a phosphorus gun. Incredible. Oh, right. Yeah, no, because like at the end of episode one, Sonny is like, yes, we are going to manipulate Frank into killing Julian for us. Yeah. It's pointlessly convoluted. We love it. We're vampires. (laughs) Yeah. I keep wanting to call Julian Sebastian. (laughs) Basically, it's Sebastian LaCroix. Don't worry about it. Like, it's just Sebastian LaCroix, but they put him in a different city and gave him a different name. Yeah. That's just as dumb as Julian Luna. Frank talks to Sonny, who I guess he knows is involved in vampire affairs now. And it's like, do I have a secret admirer among the vampires? And Sonny replies with, yes, the prince of the city. And Frank's like, okay. Eventually, somebody is killed by one of the brouhaha. He's a very thoughtful nemesis. I mean, just like taking you out, wanting to see how you're doing, send you a gun so you can kill him. (laughs) Oh, right. Julian's talking about who killed Polly, the vampire with the stake that everybody thinks Frank killed, which is barely touched upon again. Daedalus shows up with a ring. Julian goes, ah, thank you, Daedalus. Yes, with this ring, all of us can look into the past. What? What? And see who the killer is. Hold on. Hold on. Um, Hold on. What? What? (laughs) What? Why do these programs keep throwing time travel at us? (laughs) (laughs) It keeps happening. So what? So what? So what? Daedalus found one of Polly's rings. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Casually. Okay. They're just going to look into the past because that's a power that somebody or all of them have. Julian decided that all vampires can look in the past. And also, let's not forget that, you know, looking into the past just means you could basically become a surveillance state just on your own by looking five seconds into the past anywhere you want to see what anyone is doing at any given time. Yep. So they pass it around. They see that one of the Bruja killed Polly. And so they're like, okay, well, this guy needs to be executed. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. Julian's like, I think Eddie Fiore needs to be executed too, because he was clearly behind it. And everybody's like, well, yeah, but he didn't do it. So he doesn't need to be killed. (laughs) Incredible deductions. Yep. So they kill the guy who killed Polly. Yeah, we all agree that he was ultimately responsible, but also we can't kill him because <laughs> vampire reasons? I don't f***ing know. 
back to Frank, who's sitting in his lazy boy, holding his phosphorus gun and napping. And some bruja break through his window and they go, we're going to make you bruja like us. And so Frank shoots them with phosphorus rounds and kills them. My God. <laughs> okay. Just sleeping with your gun in your lap like you do. Like you do. You know. In your lazy boy recliner. And then we flash back to Julian and Caitlin. I am obsessed with the idea that lazy boy did product placement on this show. <laughs> Caitlin's like, my editor just retired. And Julian's like, yeah, you should be editor. And she's like, I did get a job offer. And Julian's like, yeah. And she goes, how did you know about this? And Julian's like, I may have bought the newspaper. And she's like, oh, you're so swoon worthy. Excuse you. <laughs> I want to do an interesting news story on you, this powerful man in the city. And it's like, great. I'll buy the newspaper. Then we can talk. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding? And she's like, oh, that's so nice. And he's like, yes, you'll be my editor and you can run any story you want. She's like, even about you? And he's like, any story you want, babe. (laughs) That's not how that works. Fade to black. Based on the book by Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be like executive producer Dick Wolf? (laughs) Basically. Episode three, Night Stalker, was never aired on public television. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just skipped it. Content warning. It's about mental asylums. And to discuss this episode, we need to talk about the Malkavians. Okay. Oh, God, the Malkavians are in this? In a manner of speaking. Oh, no. I don't like the sound of this. What is a Malkavian? A Malkavian, and I'm going to use a word here. This is basically how it's written in the book. A Malkavian is a vampire afflicted with madness. Okay. Yep. This is what the content warnings are about. (sighs) Yeah. The Malkavian curse is that by becoming a Malkavian, you are afflicted with a supernatural derangement, which causes you to experience visions or delusions. The way that they pitch it in the fifth ed book that I read was the Malkavian realizes that they are dead and yet they live. Yes. And that this drives them to madness. Yes. Okay. And then it makes sure to point out that the Malkavians don't have any specific human mental illnesses. They just have a supernatural mental illness that can mimic the symptoms of various human mental illnesses. Yeah. Which... Feels like trying to have your cake, eating it too, and not succeeding it either. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know if that makes it better. I don't think it does. I think that's just all around just kind of lazy. Yep. But yeah, basically, if you're a Vampire the Masquerade player and you want to be a wacky vampire, you play a Malkavian. Oh, boy. Yep. I'm sure Mackenzie's run into fun characters a lot over the years with that. (sighs) Oh, tons. (sighs) So episode three, Night Soccer, focuses on these Malkavians. Okay. Sort of. They never use the word Malkavian, but our main character is called Starkweather after Charles. I think it's Charles Starkweather, the guy who committed a mass killing in like the 50s, who's also actually in We Didn't Start the Fire. Starkweather homicide, children of thalidomide, that part. Oh, yeah. So he's named for that real life guy. Huh. Okay. Not a fictional character. Not a fictional character. (laughs) Do not stand Starkweather. (laughs) Though Starkweather, the character in the show, is fictional. We start on the Haven, where we see Starkweather walk in. He's wearing like a giant Carhartt jacket. In the show, he is not called a Malkavian. He is a gangrel. Okay. He is clearly meant to be the Malkavian clan. <laughs> Which sucks. But we start this show with him watching into the Haven uh, where there's a singer singing House of the Rising Sun. She is a terrible singer, but she's meant to be an amazing singer. And House of the Rising Sun is the kind of song that if you're not like a good singer, you go. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oof. 
Julian is like, she makes really good music, doesn't she, to Daedalus? And Daedalus is staring at her enraptured. And Daedalus says, it's not the music, it's what's behind it. Oh, Lord. She's trying to tell us something. Lord have mercy. Question. Yes. If this is an episode about an asylum, why isn't the song she's singing Hotel California? (laughs) Good question. There's a house in New Orleans, I guess. You left money on the table there. Cash approaches Starkweather and is talking to him and is like, are you new? And he's like, I can hear things. I can hear things. And I feel things in my blood now. And it's at this point, Julian approaches him too and is like, hey, welcome to vampiredom. Starkweather starts throwing things and destroying tables. So they call the cops and he's tossed into a mental asylum. So that's cool. Cash is told to also get thrown into the mental asylum as well to help him. Uh Uh-huh. So they're both thrown in there. Okay. I'm just going to try and breeze through this as fast as I can. Okay. Cash teaches Starkweather how to drink while there by drinking from an orderly. And he's like, you can't take a much from him. If you do that, that's bad. You have to protect Masquerade. Julian shows up and is like pulling Cash out using his money. Cash, however, has heard Starkweather telling his doctor a bunch of weird stuff. And it's like, no, break down the door. And they break down the door to find that he drained the doctor dry and has broken out of a tiny window even a cat couldn't fit through. <laughs> Maybe by becoming a cat, what do I know? And written on the wall in blood is Blood Brother. What? 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 Because Cash said we're blood brothers. Like bros who suck blood. Yeah, exactly. We then see Starkwater going to his father's house because he'd been describing his father as extremely abusive. And he walks up and he goes, hi, daddy. Mm. And daddy turns around and we flash to black. Meanwhile, Julian is f***ing newspaper reporter, Caitlin. Still in a really unsexy way, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. Meanwhile, Daedalus is seducing the singer by sending her love letters. Mm, But he can't be seen because he's the most hideous man in the world. So he makes a potion. No. He makes a potion that makes him handsome. No. By which I mean... No. They take off his bald wig. Does it just give him hair? Dawn's an ugly black wig and he shows up and he stares at her and she goes, you look so handsome. And they fall into bed together. And then the next morning he wakes up and he's back to being hideously bald again while she's still asleep. So he tries to hurriedly leave. Uh, And she's like, Where are you going? Don't leave without letting me see you one last time. And he turns and freezes in the window. And she stares at him in his bald cap and she starts screaming and he leaps out the window. Oh my god. He's just a guy! (laughs) (laughs) And he slow falls out the window. We flash to the cops arriving on Starkweather's dead dad. His dad was put in a trunk and stabbed with swords through the trunk. Swords? Okay. Swords, yeah. Swords, though. Like the magician trick? (laughs) Yeah, the magician trick, but killed. The cops are all called to the scene of Daedalus leaping out the window from the singer. I just, Uh, I just, I can't get over this extremely melodramatic Ben Grimm shit. (laughs) Like, I am half expecting Daedalus to say that something is a revoltant development. (laughs) Oh, also, on the trunk is written Blood Brothers. Of course it is. And just to be clear, we're talking about a car trunk or a steamer trunk? A steamer trunk. Oh, Oh so it really is just like the magician trick. Why is it like the magician trick? I don't know. Is there a magician? You have to tell me if there's a magician. Was the dad a magician and you just forgot to tell us? He was an auto mechanic. You have to tell me if there's a magician. No, there's no magician. (laughs) Where did the steamer trunk come from? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
But they're calling these serial killings of the doctor and now steamer trunk dad the Night Stalker killings. There's already a Night Stalker. There's already several Night Stalkers. <laughs> There's several Night Stalkers. There's an original Night Stalker. The- yep. <laughs> what are you doing? We then flash to the police escorting the singer out. And she's like ranting and raving about how after she spent a passionate night with a lover, there was a monster there. He was hideous. His face was horrible. His eyes black and empty. I thought I was looking at the devil himself. Oh my God. A man in a bald cap. Black eyes. It's just a guy. (laughs) Like a doll's eyes. (laughs) The cops are like, we're pretty sure this is another Night Stalker thing. And Starkwather is there and overhears this and is like, I didn't do that. Now I'm going to kill her for making them think I did that. Like, especially in California, you'd think they would be like, we've already got enough Night Stalkers. Thank you. No, they aren't. So Starkweather pretends to be a cop, gets Singer Lady in a car because he's upset that she was talking about the Night Stalker. And he's like, I'm going to kill her now. And she's like, I have to go pick up some stuff. Thank you for accompanying me. He's like, yeah, of course. He drives her to the Haven so she can pick up some stuff. Frank shows up looking to interview the Singer while Starkweather is standing there like licking a knife. As you do. Okay. As you do when you're that character. As you do. Love a knife licker. Usually only see them in anime. Nice to see them branching out. And in 1996. Should not have covered that knife in poison. (laughs) Frank is like, uh, I don't know you and I'm a cop. And Starkweather's like, no, you do know me and tries to use dominate on Frank. But Frank is immune to dominate, I guess. For reasons. The Wikipedia said that, like, there's a thing over the course of the series of, like, Frank f***ed a vampire, so now vampire stuff doesn't work so good on him, I guess. Apparently, if you f*** vampires, you become immune to vampire powers. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) So Frank's like, nah. Starkweather tries to strangle him. He puts a rope around him and hangs him by a noose. Julian shows up and Starkweather fires phosphorus rounds at Julian because he stole Frank's gun. Frank does a dive and as he dives, he cuts Frank down. Or Julian does a dive and as he dives, he cuts Frank down. No one kills my nemesis but me. <laughs> I'm picturing that Harka Vagrant comic with like the, the, the picture of nemesis on the pillow. <laughs> Starkweather looks at Julian and is like, are you here to kill me, brother? Julian's like, I'm the prince of the city and you have violated my laws. And he pulls a kukri out of nowhere and what? What? chops off Starkweather's head. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Did we establish that he had that, like, at all? No, we never did. First swords and now a kukri. Frank, massaging his throat, goes, so this is kindred justice? You disgust me. <laughs> Julian goes, what are you going to tell your cop friends? And Frank goes, well, I'm a cop, so I'm going to tell them I showed up and I found this body here like this. So the Night Stalker must have done it. And Julian goes, thanks, Frank. And Frank goes, thanks, buddy. Oh. What? Uh, So you and he are. Are they friends now? You and he (gasps) are buddies. (laughs) Buddies? We see Julian having dinner with reporter lady and fade to black based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, The way Frank has to like go out of his way to say how disgusted he is by every element of vampire society feels a little the lady doth protest too much. (laughs) (laughs) I would never want to be a vampire. I would never want to get my blood sucked by Julian in particular. Whoever said anything about that? There. Buddies. Episode four. It's Romeo and Juliet. Oh god, we're only on episode four. Cash has fallen in love with Sasha, aka the girl who appeared in episode one, aka Julian's great granddaughter. No. no. 
Yeah, they've fallen in love with each other. They're not even star-crossed. Nope, they're f***ing. They're not even teens. Not they're f***ing. There are no two houses both alike in dignity. It's one house. And it's just San Francisco. Don't worry, we'll get there. Oh, no. Eddie Fiore, Brewhaw leader, is sitting there talking to the Brewhaw, and he's like, there's not been a clan war in years. This prince just sucks because he's too peaceful. He's like, we need to do something about it and start a war. Meanwhile, Julian's news journalist girlfriend is all like, all the children at the local hospital are anemic and neglected. Oh, no. Julian's like, oh, we have a kindred doctor there. Clearly he is doing wrong and sends Daedalus after him. Daedalus chases the doctor down a spooky hallway. Oh, my God. <laughs> while there's an angled cut and the hallway is lit only red. Dark place. You know, like a hospital. Dark place. <laughs> and lion noises roar in the background. <laughs> the episode was running up to seven minutes under. <laughs> We just started filming in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, so slow motion is happening. Lion noises are roaring in the background. Oh my god. I hope there's Dutch angles here, especially down the hallway. Dutch angles the whole time. Mm, mwah, chef kiss. And as Daedalus corners the doctor, we see a young boy peek out the door and towards Daedalus. Is he blonde? Does he look innocent? He has like a fucking 90s mohawk, you know, one of those lame ones that <gasps> little boys had in the 90s. Yes, I do. We then see Daedalus in front of a furnace burning the doctor's body. And the little boy just casually walks up and sits down next to him and goes, hey, are you a monster? Oh my God. What you doing? Do you want to date my mom, Christine? Hi. <laughs> you look gross. I'm glad you also went to the Love Never Dies place. <laughs> Have you ever thought about wearing half a mask and a wig? <laughs> and then another wig under the wig. And Daedalus says, do not be afraid. And the boy says, I'm not. <laughs> I see the beauty underneath. Do you want to know how old I am? <laughs> Ten years old. <laughs> Daedalus takes him to his sanctum and feeds him a PBJ. Okay. <laughs> That's a great sentence. That's a great <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Why does it have PBJ in the sanctum? I don't know. <laughs> the kid is like, he drank our blood. And Daedalus is like, yes, that is why he's dead. And the kid is like, you would drink our blood. And Daedalus is like, I would drink blood, but I would never drink your blood. Daedalus is like, how long were you at the hospital? And the kid was like, I've always been at the hospital. My parents died when I was a baby and they left me at the hospital. And now I have dead disease and I am dying. <laughs> That's not how adoption works. <laughs> That's not how orphans work. <laughs> He's dying of disease. He's dying of terminal child. <laughs> <laughs> We flash to Sasha storming up to Julian, and she's like, Uncle Dad, let me be with Cash. I can't live without him. Uncle Dad. What? Julian is like, Sasha, you are breaking my heart. And, and Sasha's like, I need him to live. Why? I don't know. What happened to Cash? Cash shows up and is like, I, I will listen to you, whatever you tell me to do, boss. If you don't want me to embrace her, I will cut her out of my life, even though it feels like it's killing me. When did they meet? And Julian's like, you can embrace her. When did they meet? How long have they been together? I, I don't know. Don't worry about it. A couple days. Julian is like, fine, Cash. You can embrace her as long as you promise to take care of her for an eternity. And Cash is like, yeah, I will. Don't worry. Yeah, I can definitely very easily promise to care for someone for all eternity. No worries. <laughs> yep. No worries. I'm sure nothing will change. 
Cash shows back up at his apartment where he had been f***ing Sasha earlier uh, and finds the Bruja clan is there and embracing her. Oh my god. Oh no. She took two clans to the same dinner. Two clans both alike in dignity. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So he tries to leap in and save her, but it doesn't work because the Bruja hold him back and she's forced up. And Cash is like, no, Sasha, stay here. I'll take care of you. And one of the Bruja's like, she's Bruja now. She belongs with us. She knows in her blood and hates you. And Sasha's like, my feelings are so confused. (laughs) And they drag her out to go to do clan stuff, I guess. Go do Um, vampire stuff. (laughs) Yeah, go do vampire stuff. Don't worry about it. All right, everybody, let's go out. Let's go do some vampire stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The Archon is like, Julian, they stole your blood from you. And Julian is pacing back and forth. Cash storms in to yell at Julian like it's all Julian's fault. And he's like, if you'd only allowed a clan war, this wouldn't have happened. Is that how that works? Julian goes to storm into Eddie Fiore's office and is like, you fucked with me. I'll fuck with you now. But not in a sexy way. Not in a sexy way. Not in a sexy way. Eddie Fiore is like, why should we seek permission from a Ventru prince to repopulate our clan? If that means war, then that means war. Frank shows up to the furnace where Sonny and a Bruja guy are digging around. They're like, I haven't found anything in the furnace yet that's weird. And Frank digs around and pulls out a skull. And is like, yeah, nothing weird here. (laughs) Did you check the skull? (laughs) Did you check the skull compartment? Sometimes there's skulls in there. (laughs) Then we flash to Daedalus, who is painting the little boy. Oh my god! What? (laughs) He's like sitting there painting the little boy in his wheelchair. Oh, I didn't realize the little boy was in a wheelchair too. Oh yeah, he God is. God damn it. That's a very accessibly designed furnace room. I should note they are only referring to the child, but not by any name, just as child. Okay. This whole time. Of course. It's not like he's really a character. According to the wiki, his name is Abel, which I'm very furious about. No! That's revealed soon. Don't worry about it. He is child for now. Julian shows up and Daedalus is like, hide, child. And the child hides. And Julian's like, I know the child is here. He needs to return to the hospital at once. He needs to go back to Lucasfilm and Disney's The Child, The Mandalorian. And the child is like, but I don't want to go back. I'm loved here. And Taylor's is like, I do care for you. And Julian's like, sorry, I gotta go back to cancer hospital. Bye. <laughs> Transports him back uh, where Frank is waiting. You gotta go back to dark place. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I gotta interview you, says Frank to the child. He goes, Abel, I'm so glad you're back. And that's when we're told the kid is named Abel. God damn it. Dr. Rick Daglas, MD, is here and he's ready to treat you. Uh, they talk to him. The kid tells nothing. They're like, "Why? Uh, he must just be traumatized. Don't worry about it. Then the kid passes out. They run to find a doctor because there's no doctor in the hospital, I guess. <laughs> what? <laughs> no doctors, no nurses, no staff. Who works here? Don't worry about it. And while this is happening, Daedalus steps out and he's got like a little vial with him. And he goes... This potion should only be used on Kindred, but I want to use it on you so that you can live a long life. Where does he keep getting all these potions? Yeah. And he dabs the potion on the kid's lips and walks away. And then suddenly we get the newspaper reporter talking to Julian going, The little boy who was kidnapped has miraculously recovered from his terminal illness. (laughs) Of course he has. Is the entire point of this character to deliver exposition to Julian when they did not have the budget or the time (laughs) to show things that happened? 
Yeah, basically. And then we flash to Cash kidnapping Sasha from the brew hall from the back of a motorcycle. What? Oh my god. They go out into the middle of places where he teaches her about how to drink because the brew hall aren't doing that. And she's like, I love you, but I also hate you. And he's like, I know. And she's like, but I also love you. And they embrace and they cry. Do you want to go make some bad decisions involving coffins? Then there's a big fight. Uh Uh-huh. And the only way I can describe this fight is, you know how in in a movie where there's a dog and the dog is put in the middle and told to run to its real owners? Oh, my God. Uh Uh-huh. They do that here? Imagine the dog is Sasha and on one side, we've got the Bruja clan. And on the other side, we've got Julian and Cash going, Sasha, please. <laughs> and she rushes to Julian and Cash. And the fight is over. And Julian drives Eddie Fiore out into the middle of the desert and kicks him out in the middle of the sunlight. And Eddie screams, no, Julian, don't leave me here. Is it real sunlight or is it nighttime sunlight? It's real sunlight. He's burning, but he can kind of curl up into a fetal position and suddenly the sun can't hurt him anymore. It's like when you put the blanket over your head, then the monsters can't get you. Yeah, exactly. So Julian comes back and he rolls down his window and he goes, understand this, Eddie. You exist only because I allow it. And then opens the trunk so that Eddie's saved. Fade cut to black based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. Incredible. Oh my god. Episode five, live hard, die young, leave a good looking corpse. Oh my God. Episode five is basically about a rock star who looks like 80s Peter Gabrielle, who is like f***ing around. And every time he finds a groupie that he likes, he embraces her and just kind of leaves her there to deal with it on her own. Does he get anything out of it? He's just like, oh yeah, I got a bunch of babes who are now undead. Mm. (laughs) Lily, the Toreador primogen is his sire. And she's like, oh yeah. Well, he's amazing. And Julian's like, you go to walk out. Rock stars don't, aren't known for their sense of holding on to things. And she's like, oh, it's fine. Uh, you know, I'm a Toreador. This is the one thing I referenced. <laughs> Eventually, new kindred girl is found by the kindred. Julian's talking to her and introducing her to everything. And she goes, what's a kindred? He goes, we're vampires descended from ancient Greece, the dawn of man. Beg pardon? Uh, that's not. Beg pardon? That's not. <laughs> that's not even the backstory of vampires in Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> I would like to note that beneath my note, here on my notes, I wrote ancient Mesopotamia has entered the chat. Ancient China has entered the chat. The Native Americans have entered the chat. (laughs) Rockstar guy gets in a lot of trouble. Cash, who is apparently close friends with Zane, who is the rockstar guy, is like, you embrace girls against their will, Zane? And Zane's like, who cares? They like it because I'm hot. Uh, So this is clearly a bad metaphor for rape. It's a metaphor. This is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for sexual assault. Yep. Hooray. What a great television show. Exactly. Sasha, meanwhile, despite choosing Julian and Cash last time, is now part of a gang of Bruja who wears stupid masks and runs around robbing people. When you say stupid mask, what kind of stupid mask? It changes for each scene. Like a Reagan mask or like a carnival mask? So first time she just wore like a ski mask. Second time while robbing some members of the fucking triad. Or maybe the Yakuza. I don't know. They're Asian. That's all they say. They wear stupid Oni masks because, of course, they do. Oh. And then while robbing a convenience store, they're seen wearing, like, uh, Halloween masks, like uh, hockey masks. Pick a theme. Nope. So she's like, I'm doing this so I can feel. And Cash is like, but babe, we love you. And she's like, no. So we're basically just retreading that plot again. Okay. Sasha ends up falling in love with Zane because his lyrics speak to my soul. Zane is like, hey, babe, since we both hate being undead, let's go commit suicide together by being hit by a train. What? What? 
What? Does that work? They go and they stand on the train tracks and Julian and Lily and Cash all run up. Julian is like, Sasha, if you kill yourself, I will kill myself too and moves to step on the tracks. What? And Sasha bursts into tears and goes, no, fake dad, and like leaps on him and they pull off the tracks. And then meanwhile, Zane casually steps off the other side like he'd been planning on doing the whole time. (laughs) You know, sunlight, fire, running water. Trains. (laughs) Trains. Trains. <laughs> Trains. Yeah, exactly. Zane is like, Sasha, how dare you abandon me in my hour of need? And Lily's like, I'm sorry, babe, but gotta kill you. And she grows claws and cuts his throat and he dies. Fate cut to black based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. Now, see, there is something there in terms of like vampirism as a metaphor for trauma, the way trauma is a disruption of linear time and vampirism arrests you in one moment of your life for the rest of your undead existence. But this show is not that smart. No, No, not at all. They're so close to seeing something interesting that you can do with this story, but no. Episode six is the rise and fall of Eddie Fiore. These are going to get a lot faster from here on out, mostly because Mackenzie said they are way less interesting. So this is when we have another clan introduced, the Asimite, who are a Sabat clan. Sabat is against the Camarilla, believes that vampires should be known throughout the world and feared, blah, blah, blah. Asimite are like known as assassins. Asimite is actually kind of a bad term to use. I believe they're called they the, the Banu Hakim now, I yeah, think. Yeah, aren't they the Banu Hakim now? Yeah. Because Asimite is actually a kind of apparently a racist term. So don't use that term, folks. Was it supposed to be some kind of like disambiguation of like assassin, like Hashashin or? Good question. No idea. I honestly don't know. I'm not sure White Wolf even knows. Yeah, I doubt White Wolf even knows too. Okay, so racist term then. Yeah, just racist term. Just know it's that. Okay. I don't really know the history behind it. I just know that it is. The big thing about the Banu Hakim, which is how I'm going to be referring to them, even though the show uses the other term, they are like known as like judges and assassins. And so one of these is hired by Eddie Fiore to assassinate Julian. It doesn't go well. <laughs> Julian survives. He's fine. Meanwhile, Julian hires all of the Nosferatu clan to murder Eddie Fiore, and that goes a lot better for Julian. Yeah, I can imagine so. hiring a bunch of dudes yeah it's actually hilarious because that scene is like the one good scene remaining wherein eddie fiore is like walking through the sewers and then suddenly like in the end of labyrinth nosferatu start appearing on the ceiling and walking (laughs) out of just like sideways vertical things oh my god and just casually surround him chanting until he dies why don't worry about it Meanwhile, the side plot there is Lily, the Toreador lady, is jealous that Julian's super into the journalist, Caitlin, and she sends a private investigator to go take pictures of them smooching to use against Julian, I guess, because Caitlin refuses to sleep with Julian. That's another plot point. P.I. actually catches the assassination attempts on film of the Banu Hakim. Frank gets the photos. Yeah, where the hell's Frank been? (laughs) Frank's been off being Frank. (laughs) He's doing Frank stuff. (laughs) You know, thinking about his rival. Kind of by this point, they realized that Frank wasn't anybody's favorite character. And so they were kind of fading him into the back. And so he gets a copy of the photos and he shows them to Caitlin. So she breaks up with Julian. Lily, meanwhile, is like, Eddie, I love you. And so she gets caught in the crossfire. I think she dies at this point. I can't remember. I'll be real. (laughs) So Eddie dies and that's the rise and fall of Eddie Fiore. Hold up. I just want to like real quick, the summary on Wikipedia, which I assume is just from the DVD box. There's the sentence, Lily, meanwhile, has sided with Eddie, who is still planning to kill Julian. Heads will roll, but not the ones Eddie plans. (laughs) 
his own. It's his own. Where was the rise in the rise and fall of Eddie Fiore? I think it was just the fall in this episode, honestly. <laughs> Maybe it was his dick. That's not even the same synopsis I have on my DVD set. So hopefully this is someone on Wikipedia thinking themselves very clever. So Bruja boss Eddie Fiore hires an assassin from the shape-shifting clan to kill Julian, but he pays dearly for the betrayal. When Lily hires a private detective to get evidence on Caitlin to discredit her and end her affair with Julian, Frank acquires the photos, which triggers events that threaten to expose the kindred. Is the recap on here. Which they don't really threaten to expose the kindred. I don't... Okay. Sure, I guess. I also just love that anyway, these episodes aired like uh, every single week. Yep. From April to May. Fade to black based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. Incredible. Episode seven, Bad Moon Rising. Eddie's gone, so everybody's fighting all over the place trying to figure out who's going to be the new Bruja clan leader. That's normal. Blah, blah, blah. It's kind of boring. Don't really care about that. The more exciting thing is that there's a new Nosferatu, or he's an old Nosferatu who was previously banished coming to town, and his name is Goth. Oh, no. Are you allowed to do that? (laughs) Can you do that? Is that allowed? Apparently so. Are you allowed to just name your character Goth? Goth has a plan. He wants to become the most powerful vampire in the city and become the new prince. And to do this, he needs to do a ritual and drink all the blood of a human infant. And if he does this, he will then become immortal, even more so than vampires already are. What? He'll become extra immortal. Extra immortal. A, draining a human infant of blood is not that hard. And B, they're not hard to acquire. So why aren't more people doing this? I don't know. Like, just break into a NICU. I mean... So this baby's kidnapped. The whole plot basically focuses on this. And also... The hospital's empty. There aren't any doctors there. Caitlin and Julian kind of come back together here, working together to try and solve this issue with getting the baby back. Uh, Baby back groups. Thank you for doing that for me. (laughs) You're welcome. And it's during this where Caitlin's like... I actually also have a traumatic backstory. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh my God. And everybody's like, yes, Caitlin. And she's like, when I was a teenager, I thought I was in love and I had a baby. What? And I had to put it up for adoption. Okay. And I am still very sad about that, which is why I don't want to fuck. And Julian's like, it's okay, baby. I will wait for you as long as possible, as long as you want me to. That is a sad backstory. Not sure why it's relevant here, though. They save the baby who was kidnapped. Goth is destroyed. And then Julian and Caitlin fuck. At last. At last. At last. They've thought about it. They're going to go ahead with the sex. And fade to black based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. Oh my god. Just like the book Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) Episode eight, the final episode ever made, Cabin in the Woods. Caitlin is like, hey, baby, want to go to a cabin in the woods with me? Oh my god. Julian's like, you know what? I've not left the city in a decade, sure. He asked his vampire dad to be prince while he's gone. (laughs) This is going to be fine. And then he throws a wild party and they have to clean it all up real quick before (laughs) Julian gets back. (laughs) Basically, what actually happens is a vampire who survived the Eddie Fiore bloodbath by the Nosferatu, a Bruja, has decided to follow Julian out to the cabin in the woods and try and kill him. 
Julian turns into a wolf to fight him off, and Caitlin sees it all, so now she's a risk to the masquerade. And Julian's like, I either have to embrace you or I have to erase your memory. Which do you prefer? And she's like, I don't really like either of those things. (laughs) I would prefer not to. And he's like, I have to do one. I cannot break my own rules. You do all the time. And Caitlin's like, I guess I would prefer the memory thing, I guess. I don't really want to, though. And he's like, that's okay. And he erases her memory. And they have a good time and they go home, fade to black, based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. (laughs) Oh, just no consequences at all. None. The end. Like, how much of her memory does he erase? Just, like, the last couple of hours? Like, I thought that would be like, oh, I'd have to erase your memory of me, and then it would be like a... Th- I thought it would be dramatic. And then it was like, no, I just erased your memory the last couple of hours. It's fine, I guess. We just did a quick rewind on that one. That's kind of what they implied it was going to be. Like, he'd have to erase all of her memories of him. But the thing is that the episode just kind of ends after that. And so, eh. And then the series ends, and then there's no renewal. Oh my god, because the guy died in a motorcycle accident. Like, holy shit. The end. That's Kindred the Embraced. Mackenzie, this is not a good show. I love it. (laughs) I want to read this paragraph from the reception section of the Wikipedia page. You got it. Sci-Fi Weekly's Kathy Huddleston called Kindred the Embraced a, quote, cross between The Godfather and Melrose Place. What? That held promise, but was very confusing to viewers with the five vampire clans and a particularly confusing pilot episode. While she felt the character of Frank appeared, quote, to be pulled straight out of a bad cop film, she praised the character of Julian as a, quote, multifaceted character who's both good and evil. Ken Tucker of Entertainment Weekly also compared the series to The Godfather, quote, soaked in blood, calling it, quote, naughtily mystifying, like, like, K-N-O-T-T-I-L-Y. <laughs> like Huddleston, he disliked the character of Frank, wishing he'd been killed by a vampire early in the series, while praising the, quote, elegant, intelligent Prince Julian. Okay, I can see how where this is going. <laughs> It's Sam Girls and Dean Girls all over again. (laughs) So this outperformed Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one. This outperformed Melrose Place. And the only reason it wasn't renewed for season two was because Julian's actor died. Oh my god. Jesus. So the alternate universe where this is the definitive vampire work of the 90s is, um, it's a wild place. Yeah, it is. Can you imagine, can you imagine, like, where would we be without the Team Spike or Team Angel things? (laughs) Like, we would be talking about Kindred. I'm Team Julian, personally. (sighs) I'm Team Frank. The slash fiction would be terrible. (laughs) Oh, no. Mackenzie, what would have happened if they tried to tie this into the apocalypse storyline? Oh, God. You know what would have run that long. You know what would have... Oh, no. (laughs) Oh. And then there would have been a follow-up show for, like, the Chronicles of Darkness that was, like, nowhere near as successful. (laughs) Right about now, we would be getting the revival of Kindred the Embraced. There would be nostalgia for this show. Now there's a show coming out that's going to be based on VTM again. Will it be based on the book? I can hear Anne Rice's lawyers stirring in the deep. <laughs> based on the book. I really hope it's based on the book. I really Vampire hope they do that Masquerade. at the end of every episode. Based on the book Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, okay, okay. So this is a show that has heard of vampires, has done no research for vampires, yeah. much in the way that LaCroix has, you know... Heard of fruit. It has heard of a fruit. It thought about it once. Yep. It does not taste like a beverage that has fruit in it, but it pretends. I love this show. It's so stupid. (laughs) 
I heartily recommend getting the DVD set for no other reason other than to have it. <laughs> it's so extra. <laughs> with, with that, I think we're ready for our final facts. <laughs> Annie, what's your final fact? If you're going to make a DVD collection for a television show no one actually liked, <laughs> make it as much of a DVD collection as you possibly can. <laughs> Kit, what's your final fact? Uh, <laughs> uh, my final fact is that Hollywood does not know what ugly people look like. <laughs> it's just a guy. It's just a guy. He's terrifying. He's a monster. He's just a guy. He's a monster. The ugliest man who's ever lived. Hollywood standards for what an ugly person looks like are so far off base. <laughs> Mackenzie, what's your final fact? I've got two. Okay, hit us. Part one is, if you can't find a Vampire the Requiem or Vampire the Masquerade game, I heartily do recommend Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. It is incredible. Make sure you download the fan patch. It's amazing. Uh, it has one of the spookiest levels, wherein you can't really get hurt, that you can die at one point. Just be fast, I'll say. After the kitchen, just be fast. But it has one of the spookiest levels in the world, and it's so incredibly well done. And honestly, the story's great. My second fact is, if you get us to 275 on our Patreon, I will run Vampire the Promenade, wherein everybody is a stupid, shitty teen vampire getting ready for prom. Yay! <laughs> I do want to do Vampire the Promenade. <laughs> I'll be playing Nosferatu. It'll be great. <laughs> will you be extremely sexy with one scar? <laughs> is that funnier than having just an extremely, like, normal preppy teen girl who looks like Nosferatu? <laughs> Who looks like a hairless cat. That is the question I pose to you, which is funnier. I kind of like the idea of her being like an extremely preppy hot teen girl with a single scar that everyone describes as hideous. <laughs> yes, but I also really like the idea of an incredibly preppy <laughs> hot teen girl who looks like a hairless cat. That's also fair. We should put it to a vote. We should have we people should. vote on the Patreon. <laughs> I just want to be a shitty anime teen. <laughs> So I think that just about wraps it up for us here. Thank you for taking us through the world of Kindred the Embrace, Mackenzie. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thank you for listening. I'm glad I didn't have to watch any more of this television program than I already did. <laughs> Thank you for being the conductor of our Halloween train that's just going to smash right into Christmas. Thank you for joining me. That's right. This is our Christmas episode. Yeah, this is our Christmas episode. Mer yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. We got you vampires. <laughs> Uh, join us next time. I believe our episode comes out like right around Epiphany, but in the spirit of the season of giving toys, I guess I'm making up connections <laughs> as I go. Look, here's the thing, folks. Join us next time when we talk about the very fascinating fact that asking about Bionicle lore will get you laid. <laughs> Kate's going to tell us about Bionicles. I'm going to tell you guys about Bonkles. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited to hear about the Bonkles. <laughs> oh god i watched this really good online documentary about the montanui online flash game too oh the flash game so i'll probably be cribbing some notes from that join us for that hopefully we have proven our Lacroix facts involving vampires to you what a television show <laughs> it sure was a show it was a show i will fight you
comes out every five weeks. You can download it wherever you find podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of the Math of You podcast. You can find out more about this show and our other shows on our website, which is crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. If you would like to support us, you can do that on patreon.com slash the gem jam, where for a dollar a month, you can get early episodes of I Will Fight You, as well as show notes for this one and lots of other stuff for our other shows, including just, you know, lots of posts like we do. If you want to catch us on social media, we are on Tumblr. We are at Twitter at CRC Podcasts. If there's anything else I'm forgetting about, listen to the end of one of our other episodes of I Will Fight You. I probably see it there. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody listens to this part of the show. (laughs) So join us next time when we will be doing Bonkle Facts. Bonkles. (laughs) Bonkles. Until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is I Will Fight You. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a good start. Uh, and I this don't think is... that's our record for how, ba- how quickly we f***ed up. I think our, our record for how quickly we f***ed up is me forgetting to say I'm Kit. It's fine. I think I've said my name wrong before. Uh, <laughs> or I haven't managed to say, hey there, internet. Yes. <laughs> we have a long and storied history of f***ing up. <clears throat> Hooray!